that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, uh, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place. So that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, uh, we thank you for your, these, these words from our Lord uh, teaching us about the great mystery of the Holy Spirit who uh, we don't know where he comes from or where he's going. Uh, he's like the wind and, and yet he is the great gift from you and uh, we long to understand him, to learn about him, to know about his love, his grace, his power in our lives. And so would you enlighten our minds to understand your word uh, by your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are having sermons, more of a teaching 
theological sermon on the understanding the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's important to understand that the Christian faith is an intellectual faith. There are all kinds of doctrines that you need to understand. You've got to work through. You've got to kind of make sense of them and then apply them into your life. That's a big part of the Christian life. And the most important of all the doctrines is the doctrine of God himself. Who is the God that we love, the God that we worship, the God that we trust? And the Bible tells us that there is one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three are equal in power and glory, and they differ in how they relate to one another. And so today we're talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And this section of John that I just read is one of the most important passages teaching about the Holy Spirit here in John 14 and John 16 from, from our Lord. And so today I'm, I'm going to highlight six truths about the Holy Spirit that our, our Lord teaches us. And um, I, I know I usually give out you all my points up front, but since there's six of them, I'm going to give them to you as we go along today. And so today we're, we're answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible teach us about him? And six answers. And the first one is this. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the power of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the power of Jesus. Now, in other parts of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is called a power. In the end of Luke, Jesus says to his disciples that they will be clothed with power from on high. I love that, that line. And uh, so the Holy Spirit is the power that Jesus gives. And it's power to do what? Well, it, just before Jesus begins his teaching on the Holy Spirit, he says in, in verse 12 there, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, this is an amazing statement that Jesus says his disciples are going to do greater things than he did, which uh, Jesus is the greatest person who ever lived. How are you, is anyone going to do anything greater than what Jesus did? Well, I think one answer to that is to look at what Jesus' disciples have done through history. You know, you just take the hospitals that we have everywhere. Where did those come from? Well, it was Christians who invented hospitals. And because Jesus' body was raised from the dead, and he, Jesus healed people's body. And God, the Bible says that bodies were made good by God. And so healing is good. And so Christians brought in lepers, and they brought in the disabled, and they created these places where they could be cared for. Or you take, you know, universities, research universities that... Uh, in the medi uh, medieval period, the, the research university was invented because God revealed himself through a book. And God gave us reason to study and to we could discover who he was through orderly thinking. And that orderly thinking of the scholastic period, it led to, you know, the scientific method. And in Christians studying the natural world to say, our God is rational. We can understand him by studying the natural world. And so it's the development of science. Or you take, um, you know, representative government. Christians who are said humans are sinful and can't be trusted. And so we need checks and balances. And it was actually many of the early Americans were Presbyterians. And in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the church, there were elders who were elected by the congregation to govern the church. And that gave a lot of the, the inspiration for the, you know, uh, uh, Republican government that, that we live under. You look at things like sexual consent. In the Roman Empire, there was a vast 
massive sex industry and Christians stood against sexual immorality and prostitution and insisted that for all humans, sexual activity should only happen between mutually consenting people and, and particularly in the covenant of marriage. People didn't think that way. I mean, it's a huge part of our culture. Care for the poor. Historians say that the dignity of the poor was basically invented by Christians. No one thought there was dignity for the poor in cultures until Jesus taught that. Over and over again. And the list goes on and on. And that's not just to count the thousands upon thousands of churches in every culture that have been planted and the billions of lives that have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of that is the power of Jesus that he has given to his disciples that is at work in the world. And uh, one theologian, Scott Swain, he says this, that the Holy Spirit is the crowning agent of God's undivided purpose and power. God working in the world is what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is doing all that work. And the Holy Spirit is working here in our community, in our lives, in, in our church. And so you say, wow, I want the Holy Spirit in my life. I want that power. I want that wisdom that God does. How does that happen? Well, that's our, our second point that we learned from this passage. So first, the Holy Spirit is the power of Jesus. Second, the Holy Spirit is given as an answer to prayer. The Holy Spirit is given as an answer to prayer. And you'll notice that prayer is closely tied to the work of the Holy Spirit in this passage. Verse 13 there, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, some of you have read that passage. Maybe some of you kids have read that passage. And Jesus says, if you ask me for anything, I will do it for you. And you say, well, can I ask for a Lamborghini? And he will give me a Lamborghini. Well, God knows Lamborghinis don't make people happy. So I, he probably won't give you a Lamborghini. But I, I was reading a, a novel over, um, over Christmas by Marilyn Robinson. It's called Jack. It's really beautiful if you're looking for a novel to read. And um, there's a line in it where she says this. There is a difference in kind between what you want or wish for and what you pray for. There's a difference in kind of the, the things that you want or wish for and the things you pray for. You know, when you pray for something... You're coming before the face of God, and you bring your deepest longings. And also what happens, whenever you come before God, he doesn't leave you unchanged. He shapes your desires and the things you want and the wishes that you have. And so it's a very different thing. And I fa I, in fact, I think that once we really work through what we long for most in our life, most of the time we'll find out the answer is the thing we long for is the Holy Spirit. You know, if you're struggling in your marriage... You say, well, I want, you know, intimacy and love and connection in my marriage. What are you praying for? You're praying for the Holy Spirit. You know, or if you have someone who's sick in your life and you're praying for healing for them, what are you praying for? You're praying for the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're having trouble at work and you go to work and everyone's having conflict and there's fights and you just say, I just wanted to be peaceful and just do my work, what are you praying for? You're praying for the Holy Spirit. And I remember uh, several years ago when uh, Claire Williams, who was a, a member of our church, passed away. She had liver failure. And we prayed desperately for God to heal her. And though God didn't spare her life, what he did send was the, his spirit. His, her husband, Randy, said over and over again, we experienced the presence of God's spirit through the whole process. And so the Holy Spirit is given as an answer to prayer. 
And you'll notice in this passage when Jesus ascends into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's going to talk to his Father and ask his Father, what's he going to ask his Father for? Verse 16 tells us, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Jesus prays for the Holy Spirit. And by the way, okay, one other point on this. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus teaches about prayer, this is what he says. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The gift that the Father just gives to us is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, one of the things that means is if you want the Holy Spirit in your life, it's not like a technique that you need to learn. You don't have to focus really hard or stir up enough emotion so that the Holy Spirit will come. It's none of that. It's simply like a child asking the Father, will you give your spirit? He will. He does. So that's how we receive the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father. So the Holy Spirit is the power of Jesus working in the world and he's granted to us simply as an answer to prayer. Now, when you hear that word power, some of the, for some of you, what might come into your mind is that the Holy Spirit is like a force, like in Star Wars, he's the force, or, or he's like gravity or something like that. And the Bible doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit that way. And so this is the third answer to the question, who is the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And by person, I don't mean that the Holy Spirit is human, you know, that the Holy Spirit has arms and legs or something like that. No, he's a spirit. Um, <clears throat> but what I mean is you'll notice in this passage in verse 17, the Holy Spirit is always talked about as a hymn. So translators in verse 17, uh, it says, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you. And we will be with you. The Spirit is a him. And the reason those pronouns are, you could be translated it or him, but the reason they're translated him is because uh, the Holy Spirit does things that persons do. So you notice in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is like a teacher. Teachers are persons. Teachers know their students. They know their subject. They, you know, convince their students that what they're teaching about is beautiful and interesting. The Holy Spirit does all that. And in other places in the New Testament, we learn that the Holy Spirit speaks. He makes decisions. He can be grieved. He can be outraged. He can be lied to. He can forbid people's plans. He, he can comprehend God's thoughts. He helps us. He prays for us. He gives <coughs> spiritual gifts to people. And so forces like gravity, gravity, it doesn't love people. There's no love. There's no personal. The Holy Spirit is loving. He knows us. And, you know, which is a tremendous hope, you know, for many of us, we've... Um, you know, we live in a culture where a lot of our work on our souls and our minds happens in counseling. And we go to counseling, we can say, you know, there's all these things, ways I act and things I say and ways I feel. And I don't know why I do that. And I'm trying to have someone who helps me to understand those things. And what the Bible says, that's good to do. And yet the Bible says the Holy Spirit searches the unconscious parts of who we are. He knows us and he's got plans and purposes. And even ways that we're not even aware of, he is working on us to make us more like Jesus. It's a tremendously hopeful thought that God's grace is working in us by his spirit. 
And I think that the personal nature of the Holy Spirit is related to a fourth truth about the Holy Spirit. So he, the Holy Spirit is the power from Jesus that's given simply as the answer to prayer, and he's a person who knows and loves us. But next, the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. And you'll notice this passage, the Holy Spirit is called a helper in verse 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Why does Jesus say another helper? Who's the first helper? Well, the Greek word that's translated uh, helper there, paracleton, is, is used four times in this, this section of the Gospel of John, and they're all talking about the Holy Spirit. But it's used in one other place in the New Testament. It's in 1 John, which is written by the same author as, as this Gospel. And in 1 John 2, it says this, My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a paracleton, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the first helper is Jesus. And that's why I say the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. Jesus is going to die on the cross. He'll be raised from the dead. He'll ascend into heaven. And then the way he gives his presence to his people is by the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. So he says in a little while, something's going to happen. And what that is, is after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit upon his church to be present with his church. And so the way Jesus is with us is, is through the Holy Spirit. And, I, you know, this is a practical truth. I know as a pastor, you know, for example, if, if as a pastor I'm ever visiting someone in the hospital, I always, I can picture the doorway in this St. Joe's. And right as I'm walking through that doorway, the prayer I always say is, Jesus, will you walk with me into this hospital and into that hospital room? That person that I'm visiting, they need you, your comfort. They need your presence. They need you to be there. And will you walk with me? And, of course, you can't see him. So how is he present? How is he walking with me? It's by the Holy Spirit. And he is there. And he comforts the people. And he's present. It happens all the time. And if you ask, he will. He loves to do that. Or, you know, another example. You know, I picture going to a coffee shop. And you, you got to have a hard conversation with someone. And, and, and you think, wow, okay, i got to meet this person. We're going to sit at the coffee table. And I really, I want it to be a gracious conversation. I want to connect. But we got to be honest with each other. Jesus, that third chair there, will you sit there and help guide the conversation? He sits there. And how does, how does he guide the conversation? It's by his Holy Spirit. He is present. And he loves to answer that prayer. Say, will you be present there? He says, yes, I will. And so what you see is that the connection between Jesus and his people, the love between Jesus and his people, is the Holy Spirit. And so that, I, I think, leads to a fifth point about who the Holy Spirit is. Is that the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. And the way I think about this is, you know, when two people get married, there are really three things in the marriage. There's the husband, and there's the wife, and then there's the relationship. 
And it's kind of like you have to think of your marriage that way. That there's this third thing that you're working on. That, you know, how do we talk to one another? How do we, and that evolves and it grows over the course of a marriage. And, and it's true in God as well. That there's the father and then there's the son. But there's the relationship between the father and the son, which is the love. And uh, that love is the Holy Spirit. And this passage is one of the most important that describes the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And the, the way it describes it is as a mutual indwelling. You see in verse 11, Jesus says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. They dwell inside of one another. It's a mutual indwelling. And mutual indwelling, even in human relationships, is kind of the deepest form of intimacy, uh, you, you know, I mentioned a marriage, like the sexual union. The Bible describes it as a man going into his wife, dwelling in her, and he wraps his arms around her, and she dwells inside of him. It is mutual indwelling. That's what intimacy is. Or if you have a close friend, and you share a secret with them, you're like, you know, this is something I haven't really talked to anyone about. I'm going to tell you about it. You're kind of letting them into an inner place in who you are. It's like they're going to come and dwell inside of you, and you're going to dwell in them. It's a form of mutual indwelling. Or I, I even think of my dog, uh, Poppy, who is this little dog. Whenever we come home, she runs up to us, and she's so happy and loving. And immediately... She rolls onto her back slowly, and, you know, you've seen this with dogs. They expose their belly. And, and my wife, Shannon, was telling me that part of what they're doing is that the most vulnerable place of an animal is their tummy. That's where all their organs are. There's no rib cage to kind of block it. And so if a predator came, a predator could just, you know, tear them apart right there. And what, what she's doing is she's saying, I'm exposing you to my, the most sensitive, softest place of who I am. And the dog knows that by doing that, it forms a connection. It forms a bond. It forms a love. And something like that is happening with our relationship with God. And even in this passage, it says that all the three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all come and dwell within us. So look, the Holy Spirit, in verse 17, the second half of verse 17, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. But then the Son, Jesus, is also in you. Verse, verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So the, the Holy Spirit's in us. The Son is in us. And then the Father, too, in verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will uh, keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to, uh, come to him and make our home in him. The Father will come make his home inside of us. And so the Holy Spirit is how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwells in us. So the Father dwells in the Son, and the Son dwells in the Father, and the, and, and the Father and the Son and Spirit dwell in us, and we dwell in them by the Spirit. And you, if you listen to this, you might think, oh, it sounds like everyone's being kind of weaved together into like a dance. And that's exactly right. Actually, Christians throughout history have used the word perichoresis. It's where we get the word choreography where you're, it's the word for being around and then making room within. And that God himself, the Father, Son, and Spirit, has been this eternal dance of love from before the creation that will go on for all eternity. And the Holy Spirit is welcoming us into the dance of love with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're making room in themselves for us. And so what can we learn in this passage about the Holy Spirit? Well, we've seen the Holy Spirit is the power of Jesus at work in the world, given simply as a gift by, 
through prayer. And he's a person. He knows and he loves and, and, and he teaches who is the very love between the Father and the Son. But the last observation I want to make is this, is that the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth. The Holy Spirit teaches us the truth. And you see that there in verse 25, where Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all uh, I have said to you. And I love this truth, that if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you teaching you. And I, you know, I take comfort in this. Like if I can ever tell someone's kind of like not concentrating in a sermon, I'm like, they're clearly somewhere else. I take hope the Holy Spirit took them there. And, you know, maybe it was something I, this text said that sent them on that path. And because it's an amazing thing to think this one sermon the Holy Spirit uses in hundreds of ways to, to apply. All your lives are different. You all need to hear different things. And somehow he translates it to all of you. And how many, I don't know how many times after church one of you will come up to me and say, you know, I noticed this thing in this text. And it was something like, I didn't notice that. I didn't say it in my sermon. But the Holy Spirit taught that to you during the sermon. And, you know, I'll tell you another way that I've applied this as a pastor. You know, some of you will come and talk to me and say, hey, I got a big decision in my life or something's going on. I want some spiritual counsel. And I'll say, well, what does the Holy Spirit say you should do? And you might say, well, I'm not really sure what the Holy Spirit says. Well, let's ask him right now. And we pray, Holy Spirit, what should my friend do in this situation? And so often it's like, well, that was either exactly what I would have said or that's better than what I would have said, <laughs> comes out of it. It comes out of their own mouth. I mean, how much more powerful? And the reason for that, just to quote First John again, that, that, the other letter, it says this, that the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. First John says, you don't need a teacher. The spirit of truth bears witness with your spirit. If you are a disciple, that who Jesus is to abide in him and to live in him. Now, the Bible also says it's helpful to have teachers to explain the Bible and stuff like that. Also, I think just because something pops into your head doesn't necessarily mean it's the Holy Spirit. You know, all kinds of other thoughts pop into our heads. And uh, I think Jesus emphasized in verse 26 that he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said. The Holy Spirit will bring you to the words of Jesus. What does Jesus say? To abide in him. And the Holy Spirit always works with God's word, the Bible, because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And so they work in concert together. That's why we always teach the Bible at churches, because we know the Holy Spirit will be working with the word of God. And so ultimately you see all these six truths tell us basically one thing, that the Holy Spirit connects us to Jesus. He shows us the heart of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the commandments of Jesus. He is the power and presence of Jesus. He is the love of Jesus for the Father and for us. And he is the one who leads us to the truth of Jesus. And so that is my prayer for you all today. May the power and presence and love and truth of Jesus be in each of your lives by the Holy Spirit.
so that you might be brought into the great dance of love that has been happening since before the world began and will happen to all eternity, the dance of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for such grace that not only you speak to us, not only you send your son to die for our sins, but you reach way into the, the depth of our being, into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls, and dwell there. You know us, you search us, you teach us, you love us by your spirit so that we might be drawn to you and know the love of Christ and play our role in the great dance of uh, the triune God. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to be work at work in, in my friends here, speaking to them, leading them to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.